Do you ever wonder why we worship the way we do? Why churches are run the way they are? And why on earth do we still trust the Bible as the word of God? Join us as we study church history, as we study the Bible, and as we study just a little bit of everything in between. Welcome to Back in the Day with Pastor Clay. Hey, how are you doing today? Hope you're having a great day. I hope you're having a great start to your week, or maybe you're listening to this later in the week, whenever you're listening to it. Uh, we're glad you're listening. Welcome to Back in the Day with Pastor Clay. Today, we're going to talk about salvation. Now, if you are a ten- if you are an attender of our church, you've heard my uh, testimony, and uh, you've pretty well heard my salvation story, essentially. Uh, I, uh, grew up in a very sporadic church household. My, uh, we didn't necessarily go to church very often. And, uh, I remember as a teenager that, uh, I was invited to youth group by a cute girl and I was 13 about, uh, at the time. And, uh, when you're a 13 year old boy, when a cute girl invites you to anything, uh, you go. And so, uh, I can't tell you what the youth pastor preached. I can't tell you what happened, but I remember there at the age of 13 being really convicted uh, of my sin and I was saved and baptized. But by the time I was 14, uh, I was claiming to be an atheist. Uh, I was running as far away from God as I possibly could. I had a whole bunch of answer uh, questions that I just didn't have answers to. And, and so it was very difficult and that whole experience uh, brings to mind an event in history uh, that really is significant for a whole lot of reasons. If you, again, know me for any amount of time, you know that I love Charles Spurgeon. I love his writings. I love listening to his sermons. I love uh, looking at how he uh, has taken particular verses and maybe goes with them. Uh, I have a, uh, five volume set of study notes. I have several volumes of just his daily writings that I oftentimes will just read through and look through to help get into his mind. Well, there was an event in January of 1850, that changed Charles Spurgeon's life. Spurgeon was born in, in Kelvedon, Essex, England in 1834, and he was of Dutch ancestry. And His father and grandfather were both pastors outside of the Church of England. They were independent pastors, and he was raised with a very strict adherence to the Scripture. Much how we studied last week with Gresham Machen standing on the authority of Scripture, Spurgeon was raised with this high view of, of scripture, his high authority of scripture. And in all of his father and his grandfather's studies, uh, Charles Spurgeon found one of their books that he was really drawn to. And he began to pour over and he began to just pick apart and see God's workings in the midst of things. And that book, as we've uh, talked about before, is Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, Fox's Book of Martyrs was a very interesting book. It was a collection of people throughout Christian history that had been martyred for the Christian faith. 
And if you have never looked at it, if you've never actually seen it, there are tons of modern representations online. In fact, there is a website, uh, I believe it's like foxesbookofmartyrs.com or, uh, or something like that, that is just an online repository of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, or you can walk into my office and ask me for a copy. Uh, I have one as well. And it's I love reading it because, um, you know, you have greats in this book that were, uh, you know, great, like Polycarp, great people who are martyred for the faith. But you also have uh, people that are, are that are known as like the unknown man or the unknown woman that they tell this this historical story centered around a person that we don't even know their name. We just know the events that led up to them. Uh, and, and what I love about that book is, is I, and I've shared this with our church before, there's a man in that book called The Unknown Man, and they say uh, he was caught eating meat at the wrong time, and the Church of England was uh, going to execute him. And he stood, and he, he, he asked that the Lord would open their eyes and, and that he would forgive them for their misdeeds. Uh, so the, Spurgeon's coming across the Fox's Book of Martyrs was not a, uh, like, it was not a uh, accident chance. It was a great book. And also, he came across Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, and that's another great book. If you've never uh, read Pilgrim's Progress or you may be unaware, Pilgrim's Progress is uh, a seemingly allegorical story that John Bunyan writes in which his main character, Christian, uh, goes through all these trials. And it helps to tell a lot of the story of Jesus uh, in a more uh, historical fiction at esque allegorical mindset uh but it really does convey the gospel very well john bunyan wrote this well ahead of his time and it's still even today regarded as one of the greatest uh christian uh books that have have been written and, and so spurgeon came to a very early understanding of his sins he 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 he, he knew intellectually that Christ had died for our sins, but Charles had a problem. He knew so desperately of his shortcomings that he could not rationalize and he could not even apply that, uh, that Christ died for his sins in his mind. Christ had come and had died for everybody else's sins. And, and, you know, maybe that's you today. Uh, that's oftentimes a problem. You just don't understand, Pastor. God cannot forgive me for what I've done. Well, that's not true. Uh, and that's exactly what was going through Spurgeon's mind. God could not forgive Spurgeon uh, for everything that he did. And I know this sounds ludicrous coming from the other side of history where we know that Spurgeon was regarded as one of the greatest preachers in history, as one of the greatest church figures in history. And here he is saying that he is not good enough. And I think that teaches us that uh, we're not good enough. And that's okay because we serve a God who is, and that's the whole point of what's happening. And so uh, Spurgeon began to, to read these books like Admonition of the Unconverted Sinner uh, by Aline and, uh, and Baxter's Call to the Unconverted. And they began to confirm his need for salvation. He, he just really kept wrestling with this, that he knew he was a sinner. He knew he needed salvation, but he knew in his heart, he felt in his heart that he had to figure out how to clean himself up first. 
And, you know, that's oftentimes what I hear when talking to people is, well, I've got to clean myself up before I go to church or I've got to I've got to fix my life before I turn myself over to God. That's not what God asks. God asks the dingy, dirty, disgusting being that you are to come to him and he will clean you. Uh, Christ through the transforming and the renewal of your mind and your life and the death of the old flesh, the uh, the burial of the old flesh, the raising of the new flesh through Christ Jesus, there is that great symbolism. And Spurgeon was just having a hard time realizing this until January 6th of 1850. This 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon was wandering in the midst of a snowstorm. And And when I say a snowstorm, it wasn't just a light dusting. Uh, from from what Spurgeon recounts of this, this was a blizzard. It was coming down so much that Spurgeon uh, needed to seek refuge. And so Spurgeon actually ducked inside of this small, uh, what he calls a primitive Methodist church. And what this means is it's a small congregation. It is very old fashioned. It is very uh, traditional. And typically uh, these did not have permanent pastors. Uh, they did not pay pastors. They they had somebody who was considered a lay person that would stand up and preach. We still have this in Eastern Kentucky today. A lot of uh, a lot of our old regular Baptist pastors or primitive Baptist pastors are not paid. They are uh, they're just laymen who feel called to give a message. And so sometimes we will go in this church and no one will know who's preaching that day. And somebody will stand up and say, well, the Lord has has given me a word. And so Charles Spurgeon tells this story, and I'm going to read this to you from, from his own account. He says, he did not even pronounce the words rightly, but it did not matter. There I was. I thought a glimmer of hope for me in that text. And the preacher began thus. This is a very simple text indeed. It says, now look, uh, uh, it says, now look, now looking, don't take a great deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot nor your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can find yourself how to look. When he had, he managed to spend about ten minutes or so. He was at the end of his tether, and he looked at me under the, uh, under the gallery, and I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger, just fixing his eyes on me as if to say he knew my heart. And he said, young man, you look miserable. Well, I did, but I had not accustomed, uh, had not been accustomed to remarks from the pulpit on my personal appearance before. However, it was a good blow struck right home. He continued and he said, you will always be miserable, miserable in life, miserable in death. If you do not obey this text, but if you obey now this moment, you will be saved. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have to do nothing but look and live. And this text that I love, this text that he's preaching is, Look unto me and be ye saved to all ends of the earth. In Isaiah 45, 22. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But this text that he says, he says, At once I saw the way of salvation. I had been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard the word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, and I looked until I could have almost looked my eyes away. 
Then and there the cloud was gone. The darkness rolled away. And in that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith that looks to him. Oh, that somebody had told me this before. Trust Christ and you will be saved. Yet there was no doubt, all wisely ordered. And now I can say, ere since faith, I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been thy theme and shall be till I die. I love Spurgeon's recount of this man. He, he says that this man couldn't even speak proper English. He said it was broken, uh, 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 broken English. He, he was a lay preacher that couldn't even be- pronounce half the text that he was referring to. In Isaiah 45, 22, it says, Turn to me and be saved to all ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. What I love is this unknown pastor's remark here. He says, it don't take nothing to look. You don't have to be a college professor or a seminary graduate to look. You know, when we look into the world, there's a lot of things that God reveals to us and shows us through his creation. Uh, John Calvin was, as he was writing on this, he says, this was addressed to the Jews alone as if them alone salvation belonged. But now he extends his discourse further. He invites the whole world to the hope of salvation. And at the same time brings a charge to the ingratitude against the nations. You see, can I give you comfort today? When we are lost, We're truly lost. We're seeking for that thing in our lives that makes us whole. We find it here in Isaiah 45, 22. He says, look unto me. God's telling you to reveal, to to, to look unto his revealed self and you can find salvation because salvation will come through his son, Jesus. When you look through time, when you look through life, when you look through all this understanding, Spurgeon was trying to to figure out, he said he had 50 things to do to fix himself. But at that moment, when he learned to look to God and he realized that all of these pre-requirements were man-made, were his own creation, that he finally understood what God had been calling him to the entire time. And that was to look unto me and be saved from all ends of the earth, all the world. This this invitation extended to all the world. And we have the striking proof of God calling the Gentiles, the Jews, the people that he has chosen in this moment. And without exception, but to look to God, to find God. You know, we love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But 17 continues and said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, but that through him the world may be saved. And that's the truth of this thing. He says, For I am God and there is no other. Can I assure you today that there is no other path? There is no other way to God except the way that Spurgeon found in 1850. It is through Christ and through Christ alone. And God teaches us that in Isaiah 45, 22, when he says, turn to me, look to me and be ye saved. Hope you have a wonderful day today. 
I can't wait to continue our study next week.